Hebrews 11, 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You know, the season of Advent, I'm just reminded this season just brings a lot of memories into focus uh, from past years for me. And I think it does for pretty much everyone. Some good memories, some uh, not so good memories, but it brings memories nonetheless. Uh, I can remember... uh, my mom and I are, first, my mom's in town today, so her name's Donna, she's over there, everybody say, hey mom. No, 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 you gotta say, hey mom, hey mom. She totally doesn't like attention, so that's great. She's gonna kill me later, but that's all right. Uh, I can remember our first Christmas out on our own, I was seven, and uh, we, we had got the idea that, hey, you know, we're gonna do a real Christmas tree this year, so it's, it's my mom, and it's her seven-year-old son, and we go to the Christmas tree store. And it was the craziest thing, guys. While we were gone to the Christmas tree store, our apartment shrunk. You know what I mean? Because we brought the tree back. We picked it out, put it on top of the, the 1987 Chevrolet Cavalier, strapped it down, got back home. And we, 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 went, to, we went to put the tree up into the house. And it, I felt like Christmas, you've seen Christmas Vacation, Griswold brings the tree into the house and unfolds the thing. It's going nuts all over the place. I mean, it was like our, it's like our couch was like pushed up against the wall. And we, so we began to decorate it. I think we had to trim it up a little bit just to fit it in the house. We began to decorate it and, you know, screw the little clamps down to keep the tree up. And, you know, I've got seven-year-old uh, muscles, so I'm pretty strong, feeling, feeling good as the man of the house. So typical tradition, we sit down on the couch, drink some little hot cocoa as we're looking at the tree in the dark. And all of a sudden, the unthinkable happens. The tree comes crashing down to the ground, breaking, shattering, and shattering this little seven-year-old boy's heart, right? I mean, this tree is just, I mean, it's in shambles all over the place. And mom, doing the very best that she can, stays up late into the evening, putting the pieces back together and, and like bolting it to the wall, right? So it doesn't happen again. We all have memories at Christmas. We all have memories during the season of Advent. And uh, it's funny because it's the, it's the season... Uh, that we seem to see heaven come more to earth than other seasons of the year in our lives. And it's also the season where we, we seem to long uh, more for more of heaven to come to earth and to go be with King Jesus uh, in heaven. And as I said earlier, uh, in church history, it's, just called, it's been called Advent. And Advent simply means this, if you're unfamiliar with that term. Remembering Christ's coming 
and longing for Christ's presence with expectant hope. So, so it's this, it has this idea of longing, this idea of arrival, this, this idea of expectancy that comes with it. Now, you, you may or may not have ever heard a sermon from Hebrews 11 uh, for the first Sunday of Advent, but here's the reason why we're going here today, is that um, in the kingdom of God, there's this big overarching picture of God's kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God begins in a garden, in the Garden of Eden. And, and the other bookend of the kingdom is that it ends in a city, in the new Jerusalem, and God bringing heaven to us. And just before the consummation of this kingdom, when Jesus returns to judge the world and bring us home to our Father, there is a marriage supper of the Lamb. So you'll notice that there's a table here today. Now this table for us, each and every week it's going to be set up. And uh, I want it to be for you a reminder that even though things aren't the way that they're supposed to be, that Jesus has come, He is with us, and He, he will return. And, and, and that marriage supper of the Lamb is for us a reminder that, that He's going to come. And it's, it's the way that, that the kingdom will be consummated. When we will, we will see Jesus face to face that we sang about earlier. So the, the, the big narrative, so we got the bookends of the narrative. What are the pieces in the middle of this narrative? Well, the, the pieces are this. We were made in God's perfect image. And we, we experienced this, this great hope and satisfaction in Him. The Bible says in Genesis 1 that Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with God and they enjoyed His presence. That's what the Bible says. But, but Adam and Eve, our first parents, sought to enjoy the goodness of the world without reference to God. And, 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 and we became separated from Him uh, when that decision was made. We became alienated from Him. We, we broke covenant. We broke relationship with Him in that. And now you and I are left with this gaping hole in the bottom of our hearts longing to be home again. Now, we're reminded of it in different ways. Some of us, when we sit around the table at Thanksgiving and people that used to be with us are no longer with us anymore. Sometimes we're reminded in the pain of different circumstances that life brings us. That things are not the way that they're supposed to be. But the thing that strikes me about God is the way that He's always coming to us even though we're not fully in His presence Yet, yeah, so God makes this promise in, in the grand narrative of Scripture. He makes this covenant. And the covenant of the Bible is this. I will be your God. I'll be your God. Not I might be your God. I will be your God. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be your God. And you will belong to me. You will be my people. And so in the Bible, we see scattered throughout the pages of Scripture how God is coming to us and being our God and we are being His people because He's coming to us. That's what we see happening in the Bible. This is the ultimate promise of God for us. That we reach out for God, and yet He comes to us. That's the continuum, the longing of our, our hearts for God. So in this covenant promise that He makes with Abraham, we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham today. And the reason why we're looking at Abraham is because there's no better picture in the Scriptures, of what it looks like to long for God and His promises well than our father Abraham. He gives a great example 
for us. And we're going to, to, to draw out some principles from the way that Abraham longed because I think that, that, that what Scripture says in Hebrews 11 is not just descriptive of what happened. I think it's also prescriptive in how we ought to live when things are not the way that they're supposed to be as we're waiting for Jesus to come and fully redeem us. So what does he do in this? This covenant involves two parts of this promise. It involves, so, so home, bringing God's children home involves two parts. It involves, it involves giving them, creating a people for himself, a family, and, and giving a land for the people of God, a home. And in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament, home was the land of Canaan. It was the land flowing with milk and with honey that Abraham longed for. But it ultimately points to our heavenly home, according to, to Hebrews 8, our, 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 our longing to be with God forever. Can, the, the New Jerusalem is the better Canaan. It is the, where the presence of God resides fully. In the Old Testament, the family was the physical descendants of Abraham, the Israelites. In the New Testament, we see the promise as the spiritual descendants of God. The spiritual descendants, the, the hearts that he awakens and, uh, to his love. So as we look at this, I'm reminded of this quote from Abraham. Because if we're honest, in our culture, we don't know how to wait very well. We live in a culture that is constantly craving instant gratification. In every single way, in every area that you look at in life, I mean, from Everything from the peach pass on I-85, you know what I mean? I mean, you could pay a little bit so you don't have to wait as long. You're still going to wait a little bit, just not as long. To, to uh, having live streaming video because going to get the red box was just a little bit too much work. You know what I mean? So we don't like to wait. I mean, we, were, we had the chance to go to Legoland this past week uh, in Florida. You could pay a little bit more and not have to wait in the line. I mean, we don't like to wait. We think that waiting is a bad thing, but waiting always, uh, is always how the Bible describes like, what God's people are called to do. So the thing we've got to do, church, is we've got to learn how to wait and to long well and faithfully. That's our, that's our task today as we look at Abraham. Augustine says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. You've crafted us. You've made us. You've created us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in You. So that longing, that yearning is a seeking after the rest of God. And we try to fill it with different things. But the only thing that ever fills us is the rest of our... We've got we to gotta learn how to rest in the season that we're in now with the waiting, the already and the not yet. So the big idea is this. We were born longing for home. So let's look at this. Hebrews 11, uh, 8 through 10. Augustine also says this. This is great. He has this maxim that he says. He says, it is yearning that makes the heart deep. And as I think about that, I think, man, I want a deep heart. The way that you get a deep heart is this yearning after God. Hebrews 11, 8. First thing is this. We keep reaching for God's promises in faith. So let's look at Hebrews 11, 8. We're going to look at Verses uh, 8 through 10 here. I'm going to read them again for us. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents 
with, it, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking forward to his home. Abraham was ready for his real home. And, and can, we, can we just confess that, that we have no idea what eternity with God will actually be like? I mean, we get glimpses in the Scripture, but when we ask questions like, hey, will there be ice cream in heaven? Can I ride my motorcycle on the streets that are paved with gold? It, it just reveals, and I, and I know they're kind of cute and funny things, and I'm not, not discouraging you wandering in your imagination going on, on hey, what is life with God going to be like? It's going to be so full of pleasure with God that we have no idea how to describe it. Everything that you enjoy on this earth is, is merely a foretaste. It's an appetizer of what being with God will actually be like. See, I think Abraham really got this well. Because, I mean, there is so much future tense language in this passage. I mean, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive. I mean, he, he hadn't received that place yet. He, he, he was going to go out to a place that he hadn't seen yet. That he, that he had never been to yet. All because God promised it to him. He took God at His Word. And it, 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 it actually appeared from, Abra, from Hebrews 11 that he was leaving a foreign land to go to his homeland instead of leaving a homeland to go to a foreign land. That's the way it appeared. That's how sure Abraham was of the promise that God gave to him. So he, he, he goes to live in a tent in a foreign land. I mean, permanent camping. This would be my wife's worst nightmare. Can I get an amen from anyone else? Permanent camping. I mean, you're, you're listen to this. I love it. Love it. It's good. I mean, you're, you're camping. You're setting up all the time. I mean, this is not good. This is, there's nothing permanent about it. It's like, where are we going for Thanksgiving this year, Dad? I don't know. Where's the best campsite that we can find? I mean, tent living was not, not fun. But Abraham and his family were able to endure the temporary struggles of life because the promise was so good. So my question is, are you able to see how good the promise is? Because when we see how good the promise is, we see how good the Father is, we see how good His provision is for us in Jesus for all of eternity, we are able to endure tent living. We're able to endure those struggles. But instead, I think sometimes we, we, try, to, we, try, to, we try to make tent living more than it really is. You know what I mean? We, try to, we get the best tent. We kind of really make it nice. You know, put out some nice pavers, a little fire pit outside. Make it real, real nice, okay? I mean, real good, real, and something you look forward to, you wake up. But Abraham knew, he knew in the bottom of his heart that it was just a tent. And that his life on earth was just a midst. But there was so much more God had in store for him. They had no idea of, of Canaan, what it would be like. But they longed for the city of God. They longed for it. I love how it says that Abraham was called out from his home. Now, now Abraham was a, he was a, it's fair to say he was a wealthy man. He had good living in Mesopotamia. It wasn't like, oh, this is, he's really going out for a new thing here. He was leaving because of the promise, not because that, that the conditions would be so much better, the circumstances would be so much better as they wandered through the wilderness and sought God's presence. Hosea 11.1 says this, 
out of Egypt, I called my son. See, God is always calling his people to himself. In fact, do you know what the word church means in the Greek? Ekklesia, the called out ones. God is always calling His people out. He's calling us out of the darkness because we have this natural drift, this natural propensity toward darkness. And God is bringing us into the light as He is in the light. That's what He's doing when He's sanctifying His people. He's drawing us out of those crevices that we get stuck in and bringing us back into the light. And our responsibility as we wait is, is, is much like that of John the baptizer. Trying to make a people ready for the coming King. See, I think a lot of times we kind of get stuck in this complacent, waiting, longing mode and we just say, alright Jesus, just come back whenever you want to. But He's giving us active life, giving work and responsibility and authority as we wait and we long for His coming, for His presence. And I would argue that as we participate in the mission of God together, we actually experience more of who Jesus is. Because Jesus was on mission when He was here. We never get to know Him more than we're on His mission. We're about His work. So we do this through the power of God's Spirit as we hold out the Gospel in everyday, ordinary life, church. Now we do it through Gospel Word. We, we speak the gospel. We live by the gospel. We remind ourselves, our family, our neighbors of the goodness of Jesus' work. But we also hold up the gospel deeds of God's good work. A lot of folks in this time of the season just feel the natural inclination to give. They want to give. Church, we have a reason to give. This is why Jesus said in Acts 20, it is more blessed to give than to Receive because our Savior came to give of Himself. We are never more like Him than when we are giving. And there's nothing better to give than the truth of the Gospel and the deeds of the Gospel. What's that look like for you right now? What's it look like to hold out the Gospel in this season of longing and Advent? What's it look like for you? 2 Peter 3.9 says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. But He is patient toward you. He's patient. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now Peter, he wrote this letter to the church that was wavering. To the beloved. He wrote it to the church. To a church that was wavering under the guise of false teaching. And he wanted to encourage them that, hey look, God is not being faithless and not fulfilling His promise yet. He's being patient toward you. So what's it look like for you church to wait well? Ask yourself this question, what is God doing in redemptive history right now with me and my life? What is He doing? How is He bringing the kingdom to bear through my life? Or, how is He seeking to be, bring the kingdom to bear? Now, this week, Megan and I were sitting outside, uh, uh, actually in a, in a hot tub together at our hotel, and there was, a little, there was a guy, a young man that came up that lived in Atlanta, and he was, you know, he was kind of the third wheel you know, where we were hanging out there. And it was okay. We, we talked to him. We were, we were chatting it up with him. But I, just, I felt this... I felt this urge, and I even told Megan this, I felt this urge to share the gospel with this guy, and I just didn't do it. 
I felt this urge to hold out the gospel truth for this guy. And I just, I just disobeyed. I mean, I know that you have experiences like this too, I'm guessing. And I just don't know why I don't want to do it. I don't know why I didn't want to give that young man the best news in the world. I, I don't know why. So we're encouraged to hold out the gospel even when it doesn't feel good. Even, even when you're like, oh, I'd rather not get into this conversation. I'd rather keep this to myself right now. We hold out the gospel. What does it look like for us to do that right now? What does it look like to speak that truth? To remind ourselves of that truth? Secondly, Abraham walked as a son of the promise before ever being in the promised land. So he, he experienced the presence of God as he was in the land of the promise before his feet were actually there. Does that make sense? So for us, what's that mean? It means that we can experience the presence of God before our feet are actually in the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. We can experience that. Abraham experienced that presence of God. They were, they were so close to Canaan, guys. They were, they were, they were almost there. Listen to uh, Hebrews 11.13. These all died in faith. Abraham didn't make it. He gave his life for the people of God to experience the promised land, but he didn't make it there himself. I think we would look at that as good Americans and say, oh, mission failed. But it says something interesting. It says that he died in faith. That means he was yearning, he was longing for the promises of God, even though he did not yet experience those promises. Not having, Hebrews eleven thirteen. not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Hmm. He acknowledged that the promise was there, but he didn't, he didn't experience the promise. I think this is, there's, there's, there's a passage in Genesis 23 where Abraham is he's grieving the loss of his wife. I mean, they've, they've, they've gone out from Mesopotamia. They're living in tents. And uh, God makes this ridiculous promise to them. He says, look, I know that you guys are 90 and you know, things aren't looking good in the fertility department, if you know what I'm saying. But... But I'm going to give you a son. And, and Sarah laughs. And God's like, hey, I'm going to get the last laugh because your son's going to be Isaac. And it's going to mean laughter. Okay? And so they give him the son. And then you know, some 30 years later, she dies. And, and there they are living in the tents. And, and it's, you know, it's Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob and their family. The, the patriarchs there. They, she dies. And, and what does Abraham do? He doesn't have a home to bury her in. He, they don't have a place to go back to to remember the goodness of their mom who gave birth to them. So what's he do? Well, he goes to the Hittites who live in the land of Canaan, the land that God has promised to them. And you know what he says to them? He says, I want to buy this piece of land where this cave is. Okay? And, 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 and he offers them a price that's like way over market value. Okay? It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, so here's a homeless guy that pays more than market value for a piece of land to bury his family. Does that make any sense to you? It only makes sense because he knows the land is that good because God has promised 
the land. So he pays the ridiculous amount for it. And he buys enough property to bury his whole family in the promised land. And he does this in faith because he knows he knows in the bottom of his heart that God is going to provide. So what's the application of that for us? What, what, what does that mean for us today? Well, maybe we ask this question. What would change in my life if I took the promise of God for a future home seriously today? Let me ask it again. What would change in my life today if I took the, the promise of God for the future seriously? How would my life be altered? How would my life be transformed? What would look differently about me if I actually took the promise of God seriously? How would I live in this tent today if the promise of God was that good? Because Abraham wasn't passively waiting. He's actively longing for the presence of God. And It, it even says in verse uh, 15, if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Abraham could have returned to Mesopotamia. He could have went back. He could have went back and sought the life that they had before, but it was not worth it to him because of the bondage of sin that he had. He was now free even though he lived as a homeless nomad, a sojourner, an exile, an alien, in a foreign land. But the promise of God is what kept him going. The whole reason, guys, that Jesus came in the flesh was to bring us home to our Father. That's the whole reason He came. is to bring us home to the Father. And home is where the Father is. And Jesus is the way to the Father. Think about this. Jesus is the door. He's, he's the gate. He's the good shepherd. He's the narrow path. He's the light. Jesus is everything. And we long for Him. And our way home to the Father is through the life of Christ. As, as Peter says again in 2 Peter 3, verse 13, but according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness is there because God is there. But the promise of the Holy Spirit for us today is this, is that the Holy Spirit lives in us, which means righteousness actually lives in us while we're in this temporary state. So we can experience an awareness of God's presence even though we're in a foreign land. Think about that. The second part of this is that Jesus, even though we keep reaching out for God and His promises, and sometimes it doesn't seem like He's on the other end of the line if we're honest, we see through the history of Scripture that God is faithful to keep coming to us in grace. Listen to this. Hebrews eleven sixteen. Listen to the kindness of God in this verse. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. God is not ashamed of our wandering, of our longing. It's part of the way that He's coming to us so that when we are home with God, we will know what it's like to, to experience the... The longing. I mean, have you ever been on a road trip 
where you just couldn't wait to get home. I mean, every mile marker was like, a, you know, you could just taste home more and more. I mean, that's what he's saying here is that, that the longing for us is sweet because there's no shame in our longing because God's already prepared a place for us. He's already given us His presence that carries us home. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He can, it's Philippians 1, we just finished preaching this. Philippians 1, 6, He who began a good work in us will carry it to completion. He's going to carry us home. We're going to experience the longing, and it's a good thing for us. Waiting on God is a good thing for us. The Bible is, is full of stories of people trying to, to get to God on their own, isn't it? It's, so it's in the garden. So Satan, what does Satan say? God knows your eyes will be open and you will be like Him. It's a false promise. Hey, you can be like God. You can get to God on your own. He's holding something back from you. There's no use in waiting and obeying what He promised. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Hey, they're like, hey, we're, we're, we're pretty fit. We're, you know, we're, we're in shape. We've got some building techniques. Let's just build a tower to get to God. I mean, how naive is that? But we do the same thing, don't we? We have our own Babels. We have our own things that we try to build for ourselves to get to God. Or how about Exodus 32, the golden calf. So Moses is meeting with God on, on Mount Sinai. He comes down. And after 40 days, they've just got tired of waiting on God's law to come down, on God's Word to come down. And so they've created something that they can see. We do the same thing in the waiting. How about in the New Testament? The Pharisees trying to get to God through legalism and moralism. Look, we are better than you because we don't do what you do. We do the same thing, don't we? We look down at people who look differently than us, who behave differently than us, as, we were, as if we were saved by anything other than grace. I mean, were we not? I mean, we're, we're only saved by grace, so we have no right to judge people. Or, think about this. Even though we long for God, the only way we get God is through Jesus. So how do we embrace the life of Jesus, take up the life of Jesus as He lives in and through and among us in our waiting? So we got this paradox of all the ways we try to get to God and all the ways that uh, the, the history of humanity has tried to get to God on their own versus all of the ways that God has been coming to us. Now, here, here's the catch though. Because you'll say, hey Ryan, he hasn't really come to me. He hasn't really come to me in my time of need, in my hurting, in my bondage, in my pain, in my sickness, in my despair. We don't get to choose how God comes to us. He comes to us in the ways that we need, and He's the only one that knows that. So think about this. The strongest biblical picture of longing is from God. We, we keep trying to make our home apart from God, yet even still God is constantly coming to us. Listen to this promise from Jeremiah chapter 31 when God promises this new covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Instead of putting the law on tablets for them to see, for them to read, for them to know, here's what I'm going to do. I will put my law within them. I'll be so close to them that they'll know in their heart. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. Remember that language of covenant? I'll be their God, and they will be my people. I'm going to come so close to them. I'm going to come alive inside of them. And this promise of the new covenant is none other than a promise of the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. For us to be living letters of the life 
of God. So think about all the ways God's coming to us. In the garden, what does He do? He makes a sacrifice for sin, even though humanity's chosen their own way. He comes to them, what does He do? And He, he sacrifices an animal. He sheds innocent blood for my guilty flesh. And He clothes us. He comes to us in the midst of a people who are always and only sinning, as Genesis 6 says, in the times of Noah. When He spares, God spares Noah and his family. There's only a handful of them, but God in His grace spares a few. He keeps coming to His people. He comes in the midst of a pagan land of Mesopotamia. He calls out Abraham. There was nothing special about Abraham. He just called him. The only thing that made Abraham special was the fact that God's Spirit was alive in him. It's the only thing that makes us special either. It's the, only, the only thing that makes us lovable is God's love for us. It's nothing we do. It's all God's work in us. Think about how He comes to God's people in the tabernacle tent as they are moving around the wilderness. The fire uh, by night and the cloud by day. He keeps coming to His people. He keeps coming to His people in the temple whenever they have a city of their own. He dwells in the holy of holies. He keeps coming to His people. And then we get to Jesus. The shoot of Jesse. The descendant of David. And He comes to live in the flesh among His people. He keeps coming to His church. And then after that, He lives. He keeps coming to us in our hearts as the church. His Holy Spirit lives in us. And eventually, He will come to us in the new city of Jerusalem. As we're going to look at in Revelation in just a second, I want you to notice something about that Scripture. He brings the city to us. He brings the city to us. God keeps coming to us. So why do we doubt that He's near to us? Why do we doubt that He is coming to us? Listen to what Eugene Peterson says. The way of Jesus cannot be imposed or mapped. It requires an active participation in following Jesus as He leads us through sometimes strange and unfamiliar territory. I want to stop there. Some of you are in strange and unfamiliar territory right now. We don't have to doubt because of that. You think Abraham had seen some of the things he saw in the wilderness? I doubt it. In circumstances that become clear only in the hesitations and in the questionings, in the pauses and reflections where we engage in prayerful conversation with one another and with Him. Sometimes the only way the path forward becomes clear is in those moments of questioning, in those moments of hesitation, in those moments of prayer where we can't see the way forward. The whole purpose was the yearning, was the longing, so that you could see the faithfulness of God in the darkest night of your soul. And I want you to hear how the story ends for us, church. I want to, I want to bookend this sermon as we, we talk about this. Revelation 21, 1-4. through Listen to the kindness of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, listen to this, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And here's the promise again. 
They will be His people, and God Himself will be as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, crying, or pain anymore, for the former things has passed away. He keeps coming to us. So what do we do now? As God's family, we patiently wait for our full and final inheritance. And we seek to do that faithfully. And sometimes it's going to be a little easier than others. But I want to encourage you not to see waiting as this negative thing in your life. And I want to, I want to, I want to kind of give you a challenge maybe as we look at this table over here. Because you're going to sit around the table, I don't know, some 50, 60 times between now and unless you're skipping meals or something. I don't skip too many meals. But when you're sitting around that table, I want you to think about this. I want you to prayerfully recount how God is meeting you with His presence in that day. So what would it look like for you as a family? Are you with your roommate or you with your friends as you're sitting down to maybe just say, hey man, how has God met you today? How have you seen His presence even though you weren't expecting it? Or maybe, hey, where is God in that really bad thing that happened today? Maybe ask those questions. Maybe, maybe we look for the presence of God instead of assuming it's not there. Maybe that's what the longing's for. Maybe that's what God wants of us. I want to encourage you to do that. Let's do that over this Advent season and see how God meets us. I want to close with this prayer. So if you would, bow your heads as we... So we kind of close this out here. I want to read a prayer of Richard Baxter's and then I'm, I'm going to pray as well. Richard Baxter in 1691 prayed this. Keep us, O Lord, while we tarry on this earth in a series seeking after You and in an affectionate walking with You every day of our lives that when You come, because You will come. When You come, we may be found not hiding our talent, nor serving the flesh in our complacency, nor asleep with our lamp unfurnished, but waiting and longing for our Lord and our glorious God forever. Father, teach us to wait well. Father, teach us to hold out the Gospel truths with word and with deed in every single day of our lives. And teach us to reflect well on Your presence and how You're near to us even though we can't perceive it sometimes. Teach our hearts to do that this season, God. As parents, teach, let's teach our kids how to do that. How to wait well. How to long well. How to seek you well. Because you are, as Brother Lawrence said, you are nearer to us than we think. And Father, because of that, we're grateful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.